sometimes the way we use words can drastically change the intended message. And as an example of that, I'm going to share with you today probably one of the most embarrassing things that has ever happened to me. Uh, all throughout high school, I was a wrestler, uh, and so uh, you can imagine after getting up, tied up into you know, pretzel-like shapes for a number of years, that the chiropractor is a good friend of mine. Uh, every year as I get older, I actually feel like I get a little stronger in that regard, but when I was in college, my back was still fairly weak from all of that. And so I remember going to the chiropractor the first time in college as a new uh, appointment, new doctor. I you know, I'd moved away from everything I'd known. And so uh, I wasn't sure what to expect. And so, you know, it comes in this real nice guy and asks me, you know, all the new patient stuff, all the information. And then he tells me just as a baseline, he's going to take an x-ray of my back. Uh, and so he throws a gown down on the bed and says, okay, son, you know, strip down to your skivvies, put that gown on and open the door when you're ready. Okay, no problem. But when he closes the door, it's when it hit me, what exactly are my skivvies? I'm a Florida boy. I don't speak Midwest at this point. And so at this critical point, I know that skivvies means either boxers or naked, but I have no idea which is which. And so I'm thinking, you know, I have a dilemma here because if I just get down to my boxers and he comes in, he'd be like, you know, son, there's no need to be shy here. I said skivvies. But on the other hand, if I get naked and he comes in and boxers, skivvies means boxers, he'd be like, whoa, son, I said skivvies here, you know. And, and so I have no idea what to do. Uh, as, uh, you know, someone in my generation, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I should call my mom. Uh, my cell phone's like, she should have, she would have the answer, right? I'm like, no, there's, there's no time for that. I just have to, I just have to pick one. I just have to make a choice. You know, boxers are naked, boxers are naked. I'm here to tell you today that I did not pick the right option. Skivvies means underwear, not naked. Uh, sometimes the way you use words drastically changes the intended message. And so this morning as we get started, I, I think it's important to define some terms a little bit. Uh, last week we began this series, Generosity, as an opportunity to reflect on the opportunities that God gives us uh, to, to be generous, to, to give with what we have, to, be, to give in a way that is proportionate to how He has blessed us. And we noted a number of things that impact, you know, that, that impact our hearts when it comes to this generosity. Jesus calls them treasures, as we looked at last week. These things that impact our hearts and souls in major ways as it relates with this walk with Jesus. He said last week in Matthew 6, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's an element to which the things that we own, if we're not careful, can own us. And so Jesus calls us to put these things in proper perspective. But I think the first word that we really need to make sure that we're using properly, that we define well this morning, is that term generosity. Because I think very often when we use the words like treasure or generosity, we think most often of money, of financial wealth. And there is a component of that involved. But I also want to look at how we've defined generosity as living out of the overflow of God's abundant blessings. Now we need to understand as we talk about being generous, it's about more than just our, our physical financial resources, more than just money. And so in realizing that generosity is more than just how we use money, this week I want to focus on being generous with how we use our abilities, how we use the giftedness and the other resources that God has given us. 
And the second word that I think we have to properly identify and define comes from our text this morning. And so I want to read that first and then jump into that. And so read with me Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Jesus tells this parable. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Whoever has one will be, whoever, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now typically, you know, you know weekly that I read from the NIV, the New International Version, and I love how it handles most issues of translation. But this morning is not one of those times. Uh, if you're reading in a different translation, or maybe you've heard this story in the past, uh, this translation uses bags of gold when typically the real word there is talent. They changed talent to bags of gold to try to contextualize it, to make it easier to understand and recognize the point that Jesus is making. But I think it's important to define what a talent is. Again, sometimes the way we use words can drastically change the intended message. A talent in Jesus' day was not a monetary denomination, not like dollars or cents or pesos or euros or whatever it might be. Rather, a talent was a unit of weight. It would be like you going to your bank and saying, Give me 10 pounds of dollar bills. It's not about the certain denomination. It is about the weight involved. And so a talent was about 75 pounds, not of dollars, but of denarii. There's about 6,000 denarii in one talent. A denarius in Jesus' time was worth about a day's wage. And so a talent being 6,000 days' wages, doing the math, we find that roughly one talent is about 20 years of work. And so one talent, imagine this, is kind of all of the money that you have made since around the year 2000. If you have two talents, like the one servant, you're looking at basically 40 years of work. Five talents is about 100 years of work. 
And so altogether, this wealthy master is leaving about 160 years of work in the hands of his servants. If it's about $2 million by today's standards. This is an incredible investment. And also an incredible, incredible responsibility entrusted to these servants. I think to keep it in perspective this way, the average person in Jesus' time hoped to accumulate about two talents in their entire lifetime by working every single day. And so in many ways, this text this morning hinges on the way that we define talents. I think over time and throughout the years, this parable has grossly been misinterpreted and misused because of a faulty understanding of talent. Because when we hear talent, we think of someone who is able to tap dance, or maybe has the ability to slam dunk a basketball, or to do that thing where you can rub your tummy and pat your head at the same time. Not all talents are created equal, but uh, talents are not special skills. They're not quirky giftedness. From this parable, what Jesus is telling us is that talents are the resources. Think benefits or expanses or profits that God expects us to use to provide for his kingdom. God has given each of us abilities to use the resources he has given us to expand his kingdom. These servants have been entrusted with an incredible responsibility. And it's a responsibility with which their master expects them to be generous. He has given them resources that they are able to turn into more according to the abilities that they have. And God expects the same of us. He has given us each resources, time and money and opportunities with which he expects us to be generous and to reap rewards for his kingdom based on our abilities. Now, I know you're thinking there's a lot of money talk here for a sermon that you said isn't going to be dealing primarily with money. But it's not about the talents that are given to these men as much as it is about their abilities to apply themselves and doing something with what God God has given them. And so in the same way, with an understanding of generosity and talents in front of us, there are several truths in this parable that I would like to focus on. I want to focus on three of them in particular. On what it means to be generous with the abilities that God has given us. And the first truth is this, that we are eager to fulfill our mission. I have to admire the urgency in the two faithful servants from this parable. I mean, no sooner is the master out the door than they have suitcases in hand and the two faithful servants are out hitting the streets. Verse 16 says, The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. And it's that went at once that stands out to me. And they left immediately, began to call up investors, call up entrepreneurs. One of them gets on Shark Tank and has all of the sharks clamoring for his product, for a share in what he's doing. And he keeps, they kept at it eagerly until not only they saw a return on their investment, but they doubled what they had received. And so maybe you're like me. Maybe you're kind of a moderate procrastinator, which reminds me of another announcement. We were going to have our Procrastinators Anonymous meeting tonight, but we decided to push that back till tomorrow. Uh, but maybe you're a procrastinator like me. You wonder, what, what would make these guys so motivated to get out and accomplish this mission so early, so eagerly? And I think the answer is a simple one for their time. They didn't know exactly when the master would return. It seems foreign to us who at any time when someone has gone longer than we can expect, we can pull out our phone and text or call and have immediate connection with them. 
But some of you, if you're old like me, remember the days before cell phones, when your spouse or your parent would go shopping and you didn't know when they were coming back. You couldn't call and check in on them. And it was similar in the Middle Eastern culture. You're unable to expect the unexpected. You never knew when someone was going to return. And so these two servants apply themselves quickly, eagerly, to do what they've been called to do. Jesus has given each of us abilities to use the resources that we have for the benefit of his kingdom. He's given each of us a mission, and we work toward that mission, being generous with the resources we have because we never know when he will return and expect to see what we have accomplished in his name. I love the way that Luke, in his gospel, adds a slight variant to this parable. He records that Jesus is telling this story, not from just a wealthy master, but from a king. Luke tells us in Jesus' retelling of this parable that it was a king who went away, a king who the people hated. They wanted him deposed. And so, in that case, they speculate that the problem with the third servant in Luke's parable is that he never really expected his king to return. And so we see him go out and hide the resources he received so he could hoard it for himself. And I think this leads us to ask ourselves, do we truly believe that our king will return? Do we believe that the generosity we show now will reflect on our king and make significant impacts toward his kingdom? Will we be eager to fulfill our mission? But I think even more so with the third servant, there was another problem beyond just this alacrity, this eagerness, but that he had to understand what it meant to be generous. We see the second truth from his perspective that we are not envious of what others have received. To be generous with our abilities isn't about comparing and contrasting what we have with what others have. If you didn't ask the question of yourself today of this parable, maybe you have at some other point in reading it, The question I think that comes obvious, to me at least, is why does each servant receive a different amount? It hardly seems fair. One guy gets five, one guy gets two, one guy gets one. I mean, shouldn't each of them have equal opportunities to contribute to their master's fortune? And on some level, I'm almost tempted to feel sorry for the third servant. I mean, here he is, his fellow servants getting double, getting quintuple what he has received. But I think one of the most overlooked parts of this parable comes from verse 15. It says, The master divvies up the resources among his servants, each according to his ability. You see, the servants entrusted with one talent is simply not able to produce as much as a servant entrusted with five. One commentator said it aptly, The kingdom is not a one-size-fits-all commodity. And I think this is extremely important to understand. To understand in this parable, that, and to understand in regards to generosity, and how it relates to our abilities, there are certain resources that God has given us, time or wealth or opportunities, with which he expects us to make kingdom impact. That's true for all of us. But I think we also have to realize, to some he has given greater resources than others. And he doesn't do this because he's playing favorites, because he is more willing to give more to other people, but it's because he expects a greater responsibility from those who have more resources. And the truth of the matter is, some of us are five-talent servants, some of us are two-talent servants, some of us are one-talent servants. 
And depending on how we respond with the resources and abilities that we have, we'll receive two very different responses. Either well done, good and faithful servant, or you wicked and lazy servant. Luke 12, 48 says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has entrusted with much, much more will be asked. You see, each of us has been given different abilities, different opportunities to further the resources that God has given us. And to those who have been given more resources, we have a greater expectation on us to make more significant impacts for the kingdom. Let me phrase it a, a different way. If you feel like God has been particularly generous to you and blessed you with a lot of time, talents, resources, opportunities, he didn't do that because he loves you more. He did that because he expects more from you. He did that because he knows there is something within you that you can use to further his kingdom in greater and greater ways. When we have this change in perspective, we see that each of us has been given these different abilities, these different resources, not to hoard for ourselves, not to look at us and say, look how much I have been blessed with, God must really love me but to make significant impacts for him, for his kingdom. It would be easy for the servants to sit around and compare the resources entrusted to them. I mean, I think this is what we sometimes do. You know, why don't I have as much as, as you know, so-and-so? How come I can't do what they can do? But when we understand, we have what we have, not to keep it for ourselves, but to use it to grow God's kingdom. It changes our perspective from one of envy to one of generosity. When we have this change in perspective, we no longer look at, with envy at what the fellow servants around us have, but look instead at what, making the most of what we have been given. Because that's what this generosity is all about. The point of the parable is not about the amount earned, but on the faithful responsibility and living up to one's potential and giftedness. Each of us has been given a responsibility to work faithfully and generously to further the kingdom to the best of our abilities. And even though not all of our abilities and resources are equal, there is an element of equality in this parable. You see, the servants are all given different amounts to work with, but each of them had the equal opportunity to work hard. And so what I don't want you to miss is this. It takes just as much work for the five-talent servant to produce five more talents as it does the two-talent servant to produce two more talents. The point of the parable and the point about being generous with our responsibilities is not about the amount earned. You would expect if you, this master were like us that he would be most pleased with the first servant. I mean, he had received another hundred years' worth of wages. But the response that the master gives to the two faithful servants is word for word exactly the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Let me break this down in one more way. And I let you in on a little secret. Ministers deal with insecurity. I know, it's shocking. Uh, I, when people leave a church or your church is not growing in the way that you would want to or other churches are growing or some you know, mega church minister tweets, you know, amazing Sunday this week. 
And the sermon was so spot on that a hundred people gave their lives spontaneously in baptism and everybody else emptied their wallets into the offering plates. And the rest, you know, they made the decision to go to the mission field. And it's easy to think in those moments, you know, if my preaching was better, or if we had, you know, those kinds of facilities, or if I only had his abilities to do what God wants me to do, and then I'd be a five-talent servant. I'm guessing this is not just ministers who feel this way. You probably feel it too. Looking at what other people have, what other people have done, and wondering why you can't do the same thing. But what I want you to remember is that when God calls us, particularly when God calls us to be generous, it's not about success, but about faithfulness. When God calls us, it's not about success, but about faithfulness. God cares more about us living up to our responsibility and giftedness and sharing the gospel than he does about how many converts we win, how much money we make, how much applause we receive. Jesus isn't looking for the crazy success stories that the world shows us as good examples. Jesus is looking for the generous, faithful servants who continue to push forward in their mission every day for what he has called them to. He doesn't expect the same from each of us, but he expects the same effort from each of us. And I think sometimes we feel like a one-talent servant. I have little to offer the kingdom. I think, why has he not made me a five-talent servant? But in those cases, I think we have to remember that when generosity really, truly takes root in our hearts, God always gives us exactly what we need to do what he has called us to do. And when we understand this, that God has given us everything we need to be generous in Him, we discover necessarily the necessity of this third truth. That we take seriously the responsibility despite the risk. I think there's often something missed in this parable that directly impacts the way we live out our generosity to God. These servants, more accurately these slaves, were receiving in their hands more money than they had ever seen or imagined. It might have been a small sum to their master, but to them it was an incredible resource. And with that resource came this responsibility. I mean, put yourself in the place of these servants. These three men survive not through any doing of their own, but strictly by the master's grace. That apart from his provision, they can do nothing. That he had blessed them in ways they could not comprehend. And before he leaves, he says to you, I have a job for you. And here is everything you need to complete the task. I want you to use it to the best of your ability. This master who has so often blessed you is now placing in your hands the opportunity to bless him back. I said to put yourself in the servant's shoes, but you don't really have to do that. It's not much of a stretch because we are the servants. In a culture where money was scarce, and money for investing was downright rare. These three were given the incredible responsibility of using what the master had given them. But with that responsibility came risk. And it's a risk that not all servants were willing to take. We've all kind of been in the reluctant place of that third servant before. We simply failed to use what we had for fear of losing it. 
Maybe as a kid, you're reluctant to wear your new shoes for fear of getting them dirty. Maybe it's like the man who finds the classic car he's ever always dreamed of, only to park it in the garage because he's afraid of something happening to it. Or the diamond ring that remains in your jewelry box for fear that this precious stone will fall out. The third servant is not willing to assume the risk of responsibility he'd been given. And so he takes his master's money and he sticks it down in the dirt. And though this servant is not willing to assume the risk of a botched business venture, he never counted on the master's wrath. He failed to realize something incredibly important, something that we have to realize. The money that was given to the servant is not his own. The money they earn with this investment is not theirs to keep. They're but temporary resources to use for the time they've been entrusted to. And I think that we have to realize the same. Each and every resource that we have in this life, be it money or property, opportunity or time or energy or family or career or influence or status, I mean, the list could go on and on. If we have those resources, and don't use them to make significant impacts for the kingdom of heaven to the best of our abilities, we will answer for it when our master returns. See what we've done, what is really his. We must not make the mistake of the servant in misunderstanding who the master is and what the master desired. He says that he understood the master to be a stingy man, when in reality he was one of incredible generosity, one of gracious blessing. He says, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And if we understand Jesus and think of him as a stingy master, then we'll fail to miss the incredible grace that he provides to us each and every moment. We'll miss out on what it means to be a servant who models his master. And so what I want you to know this morning is that what we do with the resources and abilities that we've been given isn't about earning anything. It's not about earning our salvation. It's not about earning a right standing before God. But it's about looking more like Jesus and demonstrating the generosity of the grace that we have received in Him. The responsibility of using our abilities to further the resources that God has given us. Does that come with some risk? Does that come with some work, some potential that we might do something, reach out to someone who doesn't respond the way we want, or embark on a venture that isn't successful by the world's standard. Is there a risk? Yes. That risk is nothing compared to the reward of being called a faithful servant. And so my prayer this morning is this, that we would not miss the opportunity to be generous, but not just generous, generous to God. That's really what it's about when coming to use our resources and abilities. That we get to bless the God who so richly blesses us. But let us not squander the resources of His grace. In just a moment, as always, we're going to have a moment. And we'll sing a song and have a moment where I'm going to stand up here. Maybe call an invitation, maybe call an altar call, whatever you want to call it. But it's a moment where I want you to reflect on the ways that each of us and use the resources that God has given us. 
For some of you, maybe it means receiving the resources of His grace and accepting it for the first time. Think, God, I've been a selfish servant. And I've not used the life you've given me to model it after you. And so maybe for you this morning is a decision to take a step in discipleship of following Jesus for the very first time. For others of us, maybe it's an opportunity to pray and reflect on the ways that God has blessed you. And the ways that we can bless him and his kingdom to use the resources and abilities that he has given us. To make his name famous in this church and in this city and in this world. My hope is that all of us can look forward to the day when having been generous with what God has given us, we may hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we continue to be reminded that the generosity that you expect of us is directly correlated with how we understand how, you have, how much you have given us. That our generosity, when we are truly generous, is simply a reflection of what you do by the very nature of who you are, that you are a God who gives. And so God, as we take stock of our lives, of the resources that we have, maybe we don't have great financial means, but we have the opportunity to work, to serve, to witness, to pray, to give whatever you have given us, the gifts that you have given us, the abilities that we have, to further the work of your kingdom. God, whatever way, I pray that you would use your spirit to reveal within us the ways that you have called us to be generous. That we might not be like that third servant and squander what we have been, you, been, been given, given this opportunity that we would be like these two eager servants who use what we have to see your kingdom further, to see Jesus made more known. God, we thank you for the ways that you encourage us to give, not out of guilt, compulsion, but by showing us who you are. And God, in reflecting on your generosity, I pray that we likewise would live out of the overflow of your abundant blessing. I pray this in Jesus' name.